0: The following program was made possible, in part, by a grant from Organic Valley Family of Farms, organic and farmer-owned since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.com. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature.
1: We used to suppose that we were above nature and that nature was not intelligent. Now it would seem that we are fully part of nature and that nature is also intelligent. It's almost like coming full circle.
0: It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives. Scientists tell us that concern with the environment will no longer be just one of many issues in this new century. It will move to center stage. It will become the context of everything our lives, our businesses, our politics. We are, in fact, moving from the information age to the age of biology. In this series, The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we salute the Bioneers, the biological pioneers who are working with nature to heal nature, honoring both traditional native wisdom and modern scientific knowledge, restoring the earth by changing the world Pondering the mystery of nature and human nature, the biologist Lyle Watson once wrote these words. We did not come into this world, we came out of it, like buds out of branches and butterflies out of cocoons. We are a natural product of this earth, and if we turn out to be intelligent beings, then it can only be because we are fruits of an intelligent earth, which is nourished in turn by an intelligent system of energy." Of course, the cynic in us might respond that any species that destroys the habitat that gives it life is not terribly intelligent. Perhaps our greatest cultural mishap as human beings is to think that our intelligence, namely our big brains, somehow put us above nature. In fact, we've defined intelligence as a purely human trait. We've relegated the rest of nature into a diorama of misbegotten metaphors, mostly having to do with dumb machines or mechanical clocks. Today, leading-edge science is affirming what indigenous cultures have long suggested about the natural world. It's all intelligent. What does that mean for human beings? What might the intelligence of hydro worms and slime molds or the genetics of a banana have to tell us about our humanness? What if nature's intelligence, its genius, holds precisely the knowledge we need to succeed as a species in order to live within nature? Join us for the next half hour as we explore intelligence and nature coming full circle with anthropologist and author Jeremy Narby. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Born in Canada and based in Switzerland, Jeremy Narby has traveled many roads, As a level-headed and rigorous anthropologist, he received his training in the scientific method at Canterbury and Stanford. Eager to help indigenous people retain their lands, he journeyed to the Peruvian Amazon to do research. His experiments there with indigenous peoples brought him to a humbling recognition of their intimate knowledge of the natural world. A far cry from the scientific method, their insights into nature's intelligence came through subjective and empirical experiences his worldview underwent an extreme makeover. As a result, Jeremy Narby has since dedicated his work to two intertwining paths. In his efforts on the ground with Swiss NGO Nouvelle Planète, he's worked relentlessly to help protect the rights, cultures, and lands of Amazonian native peoples. In his research and writing, he sought to close the circle between the knowledge streams of indigenous empiricists and contemporary biologists. His celebrated books include The Cosmic Serpent, DNA and the Origins of Knowledge, and Intelligence in Nature, An Inquiry into Knowledge. I spoke with Jeremy Narby at a recent Bioneers conference. We began our conversation with the wisdom of worms, specifically the hydra. Help us see how you can say something like, I'm like a hydra.
1: How do I get to that place?
0: Yeah, how do you get to that place? Well,
1: um... Through uh, knowledge, knowing about biology, Um, I find that even though it may not sound that exciting, you know, sitting down and reading a lot of scientific articles in Nature and Scientific American and so on, I actually do that for hours on end each week, often in the evening. And, well, uh, it's pretty trippy stuff. And once you get a certain fluency in this scientific way of uh, what scientists are discovering about other species and, well, how we have evolved, you come to see that the, the human being is a biological organism and that we fit in a very long line, indeed, of life on Earth and how it has evolved. And actually... Knowledge that has come out in the last 10 years sequencing genomes, for example, Mm -hmm. this knowledge didn't exist before 1995. Mm -hmm. And comparing the different genetic sequences or the order of the DNA letters from bacteria to rice, bananas, human beings, chimpanzees, and so forth, has revealed some pretty astonishing stuff. Like, for example, half the genes in a banana have equivalents in the human genome. Mm. So we really are half bananas. It's like a, a a book. Each genome is like a very big book. The human genome has been compared to 1500 telephone books worth of information. Mm. And a gene is like a a paragraph in a book. So each genome for each species is is different, but there's a lot of genetic overlap. I mean with chimpanzees it's 99%. Mm. But mm. Obviously, we're pretty different from chimpanzees also. There are overlaps in our behavior and, you know, chimpanzee politics, primate politics, uh, U.S. politics. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm kidding. But um, there's also big differences. Uh, uh, So the the 1% is clearly important. Mm
0: -hmm. One paragraph makes a big difference.
1: One paragraph can make a big difference. And uh, when you look into an organism like hydra, what's uh, particular about them, it seems that The living hydra now is probably related to the first kinds of multicellular animals that appeared about 600 million years ago. And so they did not have heads, they did not have fronts or backs, they didn't have limbs or legs or hearts or brains. But surprisingly, the genome sequencing of uh, hydra-like organisms has revealed that they have batteries of genes that are active in animals that do have backs and front. You know, when an embryo unfolds from a single egg, the first thing that needs to be set up is the back and front, left and right pattern that, you know, makes us who we are. Well, the genes that are active in our own embryos as they unfold are already contained in the hydra, though the hydra doesn't use them. So that's a pretty big mystery. Um, And it certainly doesn't sit so easily with the neo-Darwinian view that things just happen by chance and then they're retained because they happen to be useful. In fact, these long paragraphs of key information for the constitution of ourselves as beings are contained in these very simple beings that don't even use them. What does that mean? I don't think anybody knows. Why have they it, retained them? Then? Why are they even there in the first place? Mm. And not to mention who wrote the paragraphs, but, you know, that's an almost uh, forbidden question. Anyway, uh, as I lie in bed at night reading this stuff, night after night, year after year, thinking, well, hmm, okay, so the Hydra... What we do have in common is that uh, it has nerves. You know, I mean, we think we humans think we're special because we have uh, central nervous systems, brains, big ones. And we think this makes us different from all these other animals. Well, all these other animals have brains, but Hydra don't. So it's an interesting case. It's an animal, but it doesn't have a brain. What it does have is a concentration of nerves close to its mouth, Precisely because the difference between an animal and a plant is that animals have to move to feed themselves. And so having nerves that catalyze movement and reactions close to the mouth helps the animal feed itself. Well, thinking about it, I may be pretty different in appearance to a a hydra, which is a a small half-inch-like tube that lives in the water, Um, But I, too, have a bunch of nerves or neurons concentrated close to my mouth. In fact, all animals do. And, you know, I can start with that hydrolyte being 600 million years ago and go through all kinds of animal forms, octopuses, and all the way through to the primates and and reach myself lying in bed reading Scientific American and thinking, uh uh-huh, yep i got neurons concentrated close to my mouth. I'm an animal. I've got to move about to feed myself just like any other of these generations and generations of animals. And and actually, it's pretty cool, you know, feeling that link. That's my family. Why be uh, ashamed of it? If you look at the planet Earth, there's this layer of life around it. And it turns out that life itself actually made the atmosphere breathable so it's not just this thin layer of life that goes slightly below the seabed and that covers the the land it, it includes the atmosphere right. this kind of blue shiny wet living thing is the biosphere and all its creatures are coded in DNA that seems to be the uh, the genetic instruction language mm-hmm. And, you know, we're inside it, we can't live without it, we, we eat the other creatures of it. You know, we, we can't eat bits of the moon, that's not going to get us anywhere. We have to eat other organic pieces of the biosphere, we breathe the air that it produces, we're born in it, we swim in it, we breathe it, we eat it, we die in it, and we're recycled in it. And, you know, this is the place I want to be. I don't want to be uh, on a
0: moon off Jupiter or somewhere else. Living within nature, an intelligence nested within a vastly greater intelligence. Contemporary scientific explorations are revealing that the biosphere, the sum total of all living things, actually creates the very conditions that sustain it. The new creation story is a co-creation story. It's all intelligent. Brilliant, in fact. Jeremy Narby plunges our conversation deeper into the mystery.
1: I think that the people who are thinking about this stuff about the the living biosphere refer to it as a, a super organism, and yes, we are organisms inside a super organism, just like we ourselves are made up of cells, our own cells, which are individual living beings, come together in a to form a a body like my own and they have to cooperate and work together for me to be me. I'm kind of like a a walking cathedral of these other cells and form a single organism. And actually, I'd want to speak up for proteins a little bit because uh, we wouldn't want to just stop at the the cellular level because when you go inside any cell, a human cell or a carrot cell, whatever, and a a neuron or a skin cell, each and every cell is like a city. You know, it's extremely... Complex, and there's all kinds of different proteins running around in there doing all kinds of things that keep us alive, keep the cell alive, housekeeping, all kinds of stuff. So many things unique unto themselves, unto each different kind of
0: protein too, right?
1: And that seem to require a capacity to know or an intelligence, a capacity to gauge what's happening, what needs to be done, and, and then doing it. So even the bricks within the bricks seem to have
0: a, a kind of... A, mind of their own that's Jeremy Narby from the biosphere a vastly intelligent hospitality enterprise where life creates the conditions favorable to life with a mind of its own a mind we have little idea of when we return Jeremy Narby ponders the questions what is intelligence what is nature and as the caterpillar asked Alice who are you This is Intelligence and Nature, Coming Full Circle. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Free podcasts containing more of our interview with Jeremy Narby can be found at Bioneers.org. Look in the radio pages. In his book, Intelligence and Nature, Jeremy Narby dissolves the notion that intelligence is limited to the human brain. From his encounters with research biologists around the world, he learned some astounding things. Brainless, single-celled slime molds consistently solve mazes. They take the shortest path to a food source every time. Narby also found solid research that shows bees can process abstract concepts. In an experiment, a bee flying through an entrance to a Y-shaped maze encountered a branching pathway, or decision chamber, where it could choose between color-coded paths. The blue path led to sugar water. The bees quickly mastered the exercise and navigated several different configurations of symbols. Though bees have brains the size of pinheads, Narby notes, they can master abstract rules. So then what exactly do we mean by intelligence? Again, Jeremy Narby. I think it's really
1: important to look at the the words that we use. And the etymology of the word is from interlegere, to choose between. And it simply implies the capacity to make decisions. But etymology is not the, uh, the last word. It's actually the first word. Um, Then if you look at the history of how the concept of intelligence has been used, intelligence is a Western concept, and the word is coming from a Latin etymology, so you have it in French and German and uh, and English. It's often been defined as being an exclusively human faculty. Well, that's obviously a pretty arrogant premise, but the definition that you will find in the different dictionaries often couch it in exclusively human terms. So by definition, it couldn't apply to other species. And then we get to the whole question of this idea that humans are above nature. Well, intelligence was one of the most important things that those who argue that we were above nature said separated us from the rest of nature. We have intelligence, while all the other species don't. So this is our most precious thing. Therefore, the definition of it becomes this extremely important thing as well. If this is our most precious and defining thing, so it's our treasure, what is it? I spoke. ended up speaking with some Japanese scientists and they also ran into this problem when they published results in English that used the word intelligence to refer to, for example, what a slime mold can do. This is a uh, an astonishing single-celled creature that is capable of solving uh, mazes. Well, in Japanese, they have a word which is chi sei, from uh, chi to know and sei property or capacity. It's like knowingness or capacity to know the Japanese have an animus background to their culture, so they've never had this arbitrary separation between humans and other species. In fact, they presuppose that other species have chisei, a capacity to know. And what's interesting is that Japanese scientists have asked questions of nature presupposing intelligence in nature as opposed to absence of intelligence And they have had, uh, well, uncovered data decades ahead of Western researchers who were operating out of Western presuppositions, which goes to show that science is not as neutral as some scientists think it is, that it does have its cultural background and, and baggage that informs the questions you ask, because actually the words at our disposal also contain baggage and presuppositions. You know, look at nature, for example. The definition in the Oxford English Dictionary of Nature is the phenomena of the physical world to the exclusion of humans and human creations. And so just talking, just using the word nature, implicitly involves buying into the idea that there is a separation between humans and nature unless you want to get involved in trying to redefine the whole word nature. And in fact, I think the data shows that we are part of nature, that there is human nature, that we are also animals. And
0: defining nature as being separate from humans is is actually wrong. As Jeremy Narby observes, science is not free from cultural baggage. The English philosopher Francis Bacon, founder of the modern scientific method at the dawn of the 1600s, refused to attribute subjectivity to other than human organisms. He objectified the natural world and broke it apart into fragmented pieces. The French philosopher René Descartes took the logic a step further. He characterized animals as machines or automatons. He characterized the human body as a machine, like a clock. While scientific rationalism certainly has contributed mightily to gaining vast knowledge, it also has severe limitations, especially evident in the field of biology. Life, says Jeremy Narby, is just not a machine. Descartes, um, for his time, he was way ahead of his
1: time. He was a free thinker. He was an open-minded fellow. He was trying to wrestle knowledge away from the church. And we wouldn't be having this conversation if he hadn't done that. Mm -hmm. So respect to Descartes. Mm -hmm. Um, However, he launched us into rational materialism and viewing other species as automata and um, uh, separating even the brain from the body. Well, uh, Antonio Damasio, who is a neurologist, has written uh, an important book called Descartes' Error. And it's all about how the brain is actually not limited to the head and the brain goes down around the stomach and the brain's capacity to function involves having a body that allows it to sense the world. The so brain is dependent on, on the body as much as... The body is dependent on the brain. Yeah, yeah. And so um, these separations between head and body, between nature and culture between humans and other species that comes with the rational gaze which dichotomizes. It separates to know. It takes things apart. It's a a very strong and powerful way of going about things. And we wouldn't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but there's been a price to pay because there are these arbitrary separations that are in fact fictions that get imposed on the landscape and that people then see. And where waking up after 400 years as as Westerners of this Cartesian separation. So here we are, scratching our, our predator brains 400 years later <laughs> and trying to think about our own concepts. Um, well, our brains are in our bodies, and our bodies are um, animal bodies, and um, actually what we find when we observe other creatures is that eye for eye, brain for brain, gene for gene, heart for heart, we're nearly identical. And it's like waking up and realizing that our presuppositions need serious rethinking. And it's just obvious to anybody at this point. And I think what's so interesting, and I think the possible path to salvation for uh, Western culture, is that it is our own system of knowledge, which is science, that is revealing the glorious data of this, You don't even need to go to the Amazon and speak with shamans if you want to know about the hidden unity of life. Just rational science at this point is so advanced. I mean, you know, Descartes would be blown away if he could sit at home and read Scientific American in 2005.
0: What is, what's new for you right now and really exciting in terms of these kinds of explorations?
1: Well... All these um, different questions, I find that um, these are exciting times. It seems that uh, we're rethinking nature, we're rethinking plants and animals and ourselves, our bodies, our minds, indigenous cultures. The world is opening up to different systems of knowledge working together. Actually, all kinds of frontiers are coming down and people are mixing things up. Uh, You know, it's not a moment too soon... That this stuff is uh, starting to happen. Uh, It's almost like coming full circle. So um, we used to suppose that we were above nature and that nature was not intelligent. Now it would seem that we are fully part of nature and that nature is also intelligent Nonetheless, we're kind of a strange species. I mean, us human beings, uh, I'm sure jaguars are strange and hydra are strange. There's all kinds of uh, strange fish out there. But human beings, I mean, whoosh. If you think about the fact that your skull contains three pounds of gelatinous matter, which is neurons and uh, glial cells, um, it's pretty watery. It doesn't have bones or any sort of uh, hard structure. And out of this messy jelly or mystery jelly spring images, three-dimensional films. What we see with our own eyes as we're just sitting here looking at each other and that we perceive outside our head is actually being shown in the theater of my mind, which I suppose is inside my skull. So how this jelly actually does this Um, is not known, and I'm not sure that objective knowledge is um, the tool for the job. So, if humans are part of nature, and nature is intelligent, is there anything in human intelligence that is different from nature's intelligence? It's returning to the question of human specificity. You know, each species is specific. Beavers are specific So humans have their specificities. Um, I would be interested in hearing what anthropologists who uh, study human beings have to say about this and other people who would actually be investigating the human race with these newly informed eyes. Mm -hmm. What are these animals? Uh, What do they have in mind? What does nature have in mind by producing these animals?
0: What indeed does nature have in mind? As anthropologist and author Jeremy Narby reports, scientists are documenting what indigenous cultures have long held. Intelligence exists throughout the natural world. The word intelligence may have too many different cultural meanings to serve as the best term, perhaps the Japanese idea of chisei, capacity to know, better describes the remarkable flexibility of organisms to learn, adapt, solve new problems, and transform. Evolution is transformation, and as science evolves, our understanding of our place in the web of life is also evolving. That knowledge is bringing us full circle to remember that we live within nature. As Lyle Watson said, if we are intelligent beings, the reason is that we come from an incomprehensibly intelligent system. We are a young species with lots to learn. And as Jeremy Narby shows, we are learning, even if we are half bananas. Intelligence in Nature, Coming Full Circle. To find out more about the work of Jeremy Narby and explore more resources related to this show, to order a CD of this program, and to connect to the Bioneers and its annual conference, visit Bioneers.org or call 877-246-6337. To access other Bioneers CDs as well as DVDs of environmental and social visionaries, the Bioneers Book Series, published by Sierra Club Books, featuring titles including Eco Literacy Educating Our Children for a Sustainable World. To access Bioneers podcasts and information on becoming a member of the Bioneers, visit Bioneers.org or call 877 246 6337. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel and Neil Harvey. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Interview recording engineer, Erica Bridgman. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Disc label. Additional music was made available by Dakini Records at dakinirecords.com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the Underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in improving the environment by changing the world. This is program number 1307. This program was made possible in part by a grant from Organic Valley Family of Farms, organic and farmer-owned since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.com.